Hey everyone, this is a Godzillion and One podcast where we talk about the shockingly and seemingly endless ways to connect with each other, this world, and the God who made it all. I'm Greg Holder, and I'm with our producer, Tori Nichols. Tori, uh, today our guest, Heather Avis, and I did not have enough time to talk to each other. Is that I, I, How else do I put that? There was so much that we were talking about. It was so, so fun to hear from her. Oh, yeah. It, there's times where I'm obviously listening to all these conversations and I can tell like, oh, we're rounding for home. We're going to land the plane. This is going to yeah. be great. And today was one of those where it was like, okay, we are pushing an hour and the conversation could have just kept going and going oh. and going. So for the sake of our listeners, this is just part one. We will definitely have Heather back because um, this was so good. Yes. Well, just to catch everybody up, she runs the nonprofit, uh, The Lucky Few. And uh, it's, I'll let her explain what that is and we'll have, uh, we'll have things for you in the, in the show notes. But this is a, her whole mission is to make the world more inclusive with an emphasis on shifting the Down syndrome narrative. And so this author, speaker, podcaster, uh, you know, mother of three, uh, you know, what she and Josh, their story, um, it's just so I mean, on every level. So we end up talking about uh, everything from um, from just adoption and their journey into adoption to really what she looks for in children's books. Hello. I mean, just some of that was just, I thought, really consumer savvy. What do you look for in children's books? Which, by the way, she's written one. Um, and so we'll we'll give you some information on that. But like, what else? It was just. It was just a nonstop, beautiful, just narrative of yep. what God is doing and how we can, I don't know, how we can learn from each other. Some of the stuff she was telling me was just, ugh. Yeah, I think she obviously has such a wealth of knowledge. Um, but hearing how things started, uh, she didn't start this now movement called the lucky few thinking, Hey, I'm going to start a movement. It was what's going on in my own life. And how do I start sharing that story with people who follow me on social media? And gosh, it just blew up in the coolest way of what a good example of how social media can be used. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Something happened that now it really stretches around the globe and it's really, really cool. Um, and there's even tattoo. matching tattoos. Yes. yes. Yes, of course. And so this is all going to be so good. We're going to, oh, and uh, we're getting an inside tip on a boutique deodorant that may be the best deodorant <laughs> soap in the world. Uh, that some guy makes it in his garage. Like which... In his bathtub or something. I don't know. But yeah. uh, after after this plug, I hope he's got more garages because I he's, he's going to be Maybe selling more. Maybe he can be our sponsor. Yes. We're always looking for sponsors. Yes. Good idea. Good idea. Well, because there's so much here, we don't want to take any more time before jumping into this conversation with Heather Avis. Let's just start off, Heather. Would you uh, would you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Um, just, just talk to us a little bit about your family. Yeah. Um, so my husband, Josh, and I have been married for 19 years almost. This summer will be 19 years. And we have three kids. We live in Southern California. 
Um, I was born and raised in Southern California, spent a little bit of time up north, a little bit of time in Hawaii, but found myself back in SoCal, as we like to call yeah. it. And um, like I said, we have three kids. My oldest is Mason. And I would call her Macy. And she's 12, almost 13. Um, she has Down syndrome. And my middle daughter, Truly Star, is 10. And um, my son, August, is seven, and he also has Down syndrome. And all three of our kids came to us through adoption. Since this is a podcast and you can't see us, um, my middle daughter is Guatemalan and African-American. And my husband and I and our other two kids are Caucasian. So we are a transracial, multi-ability family. Yeah. Or, or as I would say, beautiful. <laughs> just, it's just a beautiful family. Yeah. So, so you're you're starting off here. Let, let's let's talk a little bit about the adoption journey. Can you just talk to us about that? That's one of the that's one of the themes really that I've I've, I've learned from you. And can you just talk about the adoption journey before we get into some of the other specifics? Yeah, definitely. Um, I started on the adoption journey almost 15 years ago, and I was kind of forced down into that journey through infertility. My goal when I adopted our first time around was to grow my family, um, preferably with an infant who was healthy. And I didn't know a lot about adoption. I didn't think a lot about it um, outside of my role and how it will affect me and my family. And um, I have learned so much in the last 15 years and two more adoptions, like three adoptions in. But that first one was I had I tried to contain maintain all this control around our adoption and how our family grew. And then I ended up being presented with a little girl who had Down syndrome and congenital heart defect and a really serious lung condition um, that she was on oxygen 24-7. And so all these plans that I had for myself had really, I mean, turned upside down, tossed into the mud. There's lots of different ways I could look at it. But I ended up saying yes, my husband and I ended up saying yes to this little girl. And she just completely changed everything for us and for the better um, in so many ways. And so now, and then we adopted Truly, and then we adopted August. And as the years have gone on, and even in the last couple years, so much so, I've just done, I've taken a lot of time to listen to all the voices in the adoption space, including more birth families and adult adoptees who are sharing their stories. And my perspectives and ideas around adoption have shifted drastically in the last few years, even. Yeah. So, so tell us how, like, give us yeah. some ideas how that's shifting. Yeah. So when I started the process, um, like I said, about 15 years ago, there was def and, and I, in the church, you know, there's definitely a narrative around adoption in which the adopt, those adopting the adoptive parents are seen almost as heroes. I mean, the amount of times in my lifetime that people have said to me, wow, good for you. You and your husband are just incredible humans that you would do this. And what that's communicating in a, in a, without words is that the child you're adopting, your child is in, almost like a victim. Um, and, and that they should, they owe you gratitude. Like they owe me something, right? They owe the adoptive parents something. So there's been this narrative of rescuer, of um, of hero. And that's one part of an adoption story. And if that's the part we're going to focus on, then we're going to, we're not looking at the other pieces, which are birth, birth families, birth parents, birth mothers, um, and 
the child, right? This adoptee who had no say in how their life was going to take this turn. And that ignores that at the beginning of every adoption story is a severed relationship. And that is tragic. And that is not God's will or his heart. And so it's not like God was like, wow, Heather, you get this great thing. No, no, no. His heart was broken because all three of my kids had a relationship that was severed. God is not a God who breaks and severs. So that was never his intention, right? It's that mystery of it happened. God is in it. There is grace and there's goodness and there's restoration and reconciliation. All those things are happening. But that very starting point is tragic. And we have to acknowledge that and start there. And I didn't know that before. Yeah. So, but the only way to get to reconciling and to restoring is to acknowledge all of these variables that you're mentioning. Yeah. Is it not true, though, that those things will often, if not always, come up later. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. if we don't acknowledge it now, d- doesn't it? I mean, from my friends mm-hmm. who have been on an adoptive journey, it comes up at some point, mm-hmm. doesn't 100%. it? 100%, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I I, I have found, um, we we do a lot of work in social media. And so I, I'm on social media a lot, for better mm-hmm. or worse, probably mostly for worse, but in, in this day and age. But in the last couple of years, um, because of things like social media, adult adoptees are speaking up about their experience. And they're saying, look, my adoptive parents were great, right? And they, these are all people in their 20s and 30s. They're saying they were great. And I have so much trauma because of the start of my life, right? Like the start of my family. And so, and because it wasn't acknowledged, because people didn't, you can't know what you don't know. People didn't know. And right. so, as an adoptive parent now, and as people going into adoption, there's so many resources available, words from and stories from those who are living out an adoption story okay. that we don't, we no longer get to say, oh, I didn't know. It's like, oh no, right. now I have all of these adoptees and birth parents sharing their stories. Um, and when it comes to an adoption plan, there's a triad. You've got an adoptee, you've got a birth parent, you've got an adoptive parent. and we have lived in a world, in a nation, in an adoption space, and especially in the church where the adoptive parent holds the most power. And we have to shift that um, what so a, that it's no longer the case. What a, and, and you would not, you, you're not leading this way, but I'm going to say it. What a Christ-like thing. Because what you're really doing is you're saying, okay, I've got all this, but I want to I share and leverage this for good. And I don't want this on me. And yeah. and and turning to me. I mean, that's the way I'm hearing it. And the other thing is, it's not my phrase, but I use it all the time, is that I just want to be a broker of shalom. That is Mm. exactly what you're describing in the Hebrew sense, this put back togetherness. Sure. And I just, it's so, so I think, but I want you to explain it. I think I can make the jump now to this just stunningly beautiful phrase, the, the, the lucky few. Will you will you help connect those dots now about the meaning behind that term? Because I know that's important to the work that you're doing. Yeah. So I mean the sh- the short story is I start I our daughter Mason came home. She has Down syndrome. We're in this world where I quickly realize we step out our front door and her worth and value are questioned instantly in every space we step into, including the church. Right? Unfortunately, um, and 
yet I'm raising her and I'm in all these places and I'm looking at her thinking, feeling like, I can't believe I get to be her mom, right? Like how did I almost missed this and I get this and that, right? That shift in my thinking and feeling so lucky. And I've had, I've had people of faith before be like, don't you mean blessed? Yes, I do. But it's like that idea of, I just feel so lucky that I get to be her mom. And then there's so few people who have a child or a loved one with Down syndrome. And that's the lucky few. Um, So I started, I started saying that. And then it, it's been adopted by the Down syndrome community at large because it's just a true statement. Now, granted, not a hundred percent of the people in a community feel that way, but I don't know anyone yet who doesn't (laughs) have a sense of luck. And it's not all rainbows and unicorns, you know, like it's hard, right? but we're so lucky to get to experience it. Um, loving someone with down syndrome. And and I, I do love that you're being so honest and realistic about this. Isn't a, yeah, everything is unicorns and rainbows. It, it is, it's a calling on your life but you are one of the lucky few and it's, you said this, but it's become kind of a worldwide thing, hasn't I it? Know. I mean, right. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit? And there's a tattoo involved. Yes. Please, please more. We need more details about this. <laughs> I mean, I just, there's a large part of my life after Macy came home and entering into my career where it was just a stepping into things. Everything's reactionary and all these things are happening to me. And I'm stepping into them. And so I started using the hashtag, the lucky few on Instagram. This was years. This was like the first year after Instagram started a year into Instagram being a thing and started this account to just kind of share with people. This is a day. This is what it looks like to raise a child with Down syndrome in a square, right? In a day, in a moment uh, to bring awareness. And um other and I I noticed after some time after maybe a few months other people started using the hashtag and it was always someone in the Down syndrome community and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew um, to the point now that I know I'll meet a lot of people or even if you go to Instagram or somewhere and cl- click on the hashtag most of those people have no idea who I am and it turned into my fir- I wrote a book my first book called The Lucky Few um, so it's it's become so much bigger than me, which it should be because it's a community. And it really is, we're, we're all about shifting a narrative. And so it is a, an idea that seems very small, but it's powerful in that, like, let's say, for example, a new person gets a diagnosis, a new mother gets an in utero diagnosis for Down syndrome. There is a very common story, one that is full of sorrow and disappointment and um, fear, all these things connected to that diagnosis. And then you hear about, wait, the lucky few, wait a second, you're telling me that there's people all over the world who feel lucky. And that's shifting this narrative, um, this false narrative. So that's a little bit, I think it just grew through, through like a a social media, through a hashtag initially, (laughs) which is why it's it's now a nonprofit. Yeah, uh, and so tell us what the efforts are with the with the actual NPO. What 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 are you guys doing? Yeah, so we are we believe very much so that relationship has the power to help with that narrative shift. Like I said, our whole purpose is to shift the Down syndrome narrative. Um, we want to see equitable 
spaces for people with disabilities, people with Down syndrome in schools and their communities and churches. And we believe that relationship holds the key to that movement to happen. And relationship happens through proximity. But if you don't have proximity to someone, then we can use this powerful tool called storytelling. And so our main um, projects, the main things we do is we share the stories of people with Down syndrome. We uh, we create opportunities for them to tell their stories. So we have a podcast called The Lucky Few. We have a um, movement called This Is Down Syndrome that is just archiving stories of anybody connected to Down syndrome. So people with Down syndrome, their parents, their siblings, their grandparents, their teachers, their cousins, their aunties, their uncles. Because it's not just a, a mom and a dad, right. you know, it's the greater community. And so creating, we have an online platform where we archive all of those stories and take beautiful pictures um, and get that out there. And then we write children's book. I write, I write books. I have a children's book coming out. Those are some of the things that we're doing with the nonprofit. Yeah, we're going to get to that children's book in just a second. But I, one of the ways that I've, I've, I know you are described is as a shouter of worth. Mm. Um, and that when I hear that, I think of all of the other voices, really in anybody's head. But when you're talking about this this community, there's so many voices out there. I love the idea of you being a shouter of worth because words. I just am one of those people. I think words matter. Yeah. And sometimes God whispers to me and sometimes he has to shout over the noise to get to me. So um, thank you for doing that. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I want us to now hear a little bit about this, this book, uh, Different, A Great Thing to Be. And I think this is, this is you and Macy's story. Ta- tell us about, tell us about the book. And then I want to talk to you about writing a children's book too, but tell us about yeah. this particular book. Yeah. So Macy came home, um, a little more than 12 years ago. And, and, you know, you bring, I, uh, first of all, I, I am a connoisseur of children's literature. I should say I had bookshelves full of children's literature before I had kids. Um, I'm really picky and about what I love. And there's just not a lot in the disability space. And 12 years ago, when Macy came home, there wasn't a book that I could read to her where she could see herself. Um, and representation matters. Representation is very important. And so that that was always in my mind, right? And then over the years, there's been more and more, and there's some really good stuff, and then there's just some okay stuff. And when it comes to disability, everything should be done with excellence. There should be an expectation of excellence like there is outside of the disability space, but oftentimes we don't see that. So that's a big that that's really important to Josh and I too, my husband and I, in the work that we do, that it's done with a sense of excellence. Um but in like thinking through writing a children's book, it's been a long journey that I can look back now that I have the book in my hands, you know, of, of what is the, the book I want to read to my kids? And what is the book that I want their peers reading? Um, yeah. So that they can see the value and worth in my kids. And this idea that my kids have always been different. They walk into a space, they're different. What's different about them? What's different about them? And then realizing, oh my gosh, everybody feels different. As an adult, I feel different. And often that feeling is attached to some, almost like something negative. Um, Like different is not a good thing. Different is bad. And, but I don't believe that, right? And I don't want my kids to believe that. I don't want any kids to believe that. 
And so how do we shift that narrative, right? Around different, yeah. that different is, different's incredible. And so I want to write a book that starred a little girl, Macy, because she's been my guide in the story. She's been my greatest guide. And a little girl who's, who, what Macy does is she shows up in a space completely and authentically as herself with an expectation that she will be who she is. She knows, she knows there's things about her that are different. But she's not trying to fit into the mold that society's trying to force her into. She's just like, this is who I am, right? And makes me makes me look at myself that way and others that way. So creating a book with a, our, this little girl who is the guide, who we get to meet her and see how the things she likes, and we get to see how she's different and how she's been rejected for that reason. But she continues to show up and in doing so teaches everyone around her to celebrate their differences as well. Okay, so my head's exploding now. The first <laughs> thing is, I, and I, I hope I'm getting this quote right, but I think it was Toni Morrison who once somebody said, so how do you write a book? And she said, well, uh, you write the book that you want to read. What's that book that you want to read that isn't mm. out there? Write that book. And that sounds like what you've done. Um, and I can't imagine how fulfilling it is for you, but I've got to ask, like, what does Macy think of this? Oh gosh, she's the cutest. We, um, we, the, when we're recording this yesterday, we got our books, the actual books in a box, right? Delivered. Like I had not seen which a real so book exciting. in my hand, which is so exciting. Yeah. And Macy is um, still learning to read. So she has a handful of words she can read. And so we made it a goal months ago for her to read this book. And coincidentally, the book releases on her birthday, uh, which if you know, as a, if you're, if you've ever had a book published, you don't really get to control. Nope, nope. It's a Tuesday. It's so it a just Tuesday. happens to be a, a Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. It happens to be a Tuesday. So that was when they gave me the book release date. I'm like, are you kidding me? So it comes out on her 13th birthday. And so it was like, okay, we're going to have, you're going to read this book by the time your birthday comes around. Right. And so it was so fun for her. Um, she's, we're about, she can read about a quarter of the book and which is incredible, but it was so fun for her to open it because we've been working just through looking on the computer at the um, digital version that, that the publisher sent me. And then she gets to hold this little book and it, it's her face, right? Oh, like there goodness. she is on the cover of the book oh, um, and she was elated. And then she could open it and read the words. And it's about her celebrating who she is, Ooh. you know? Yeah. 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 I call that a God thing. That is, sure. that is something. And then, and then the, the launch of this book is just going to be a, a celebration for so many um, and for other families. I want to ask you now about like your, your kids, uh, you have, you have, you have a child with typically, typically developing Mm -hmm. abilities and then you have children with diverse abilities and i can't help but imagine you tell me but i can't help but imagine that there's so much that they could teach us about how to how to live together and how mm -hmm. to honor each other and learn from each other is is that am i overreaching on that or do no, you see that happening for sure there's a saying um that will go around sometimes it's like if you want to know how to treat a person with a disability watch their siblings how their siblings treat them. And because siblings to people with disabilities, that it's their sibling, you know? And that's good. So they don't know any different. Like that's truly, so truly knows that she has a brother and sister with Down syndrome. And and so what? 
<laughs> like at the end of the day, she's got a brother and sister and which um, means she's got normal aggravations and frustrations because they're siblings. Totally. And she loves them and she celebrates them and they have conflict and have to figure it out. It's all of it. It's all of it. And then and then you flip that. Truly is the only person in our home with dark skin, with brown skin. And so then you've got Mason who will be like out in public and be like, hey, they, you know, you got brown skin, like truly. It's like, yeah, they've got brown skin. Isn't that awesome? So beautiful. Yeah. Um, or like truly's got curly hair and she's the only kid in the family with curly hair and Mason and August navigating that too. And being so like this sense of it going back to the idea of the book, this sense of we're all really different and that's awesome. Yeah. And that yeah. they, they truly believe that because they're kind of forced to live it yeah. <laughs> within and, their family. And it's, 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 they acknowledge those differences in such a beautifully natural way. Like um, we were with the lions last summer for a little bit and joy met uh, uh, their little girl with down syndrome met my granddaughter who was two at the time and their interactions were beautiful. And just, it was just like, Oh, so that's how you get along. You just acknowledge each other and you mm -hmm. keep figuring each other out mm -hmm. and you keep moving Somewhere along the way, we have forgotten that. But um, do you think that there are things that you've learned from your kids in interacting with each other, in interacting with the world that does translate to the rest of us? I mean, what should we be picking up our notepad with and saying, okay, note to self, I, yeah. I, I need to walk away and, and apply this to my life? Yeah. Um, something that I love about Mason and really all three of my kids, but again, Macy's my oldest and, and sure. kind of guide for all, for all of us. And a lot of this, um, she just is curious before she is judgmental. She's not judgmental at all. She's just curious. Yeah. And so when she approaches someone or something that is different and therefore uncomfortable because it's unknown, she's not casting judgment. She's not trying to avoid it. She's not ignoring it. She becomes curious about it. And in that curiosity, the unknown can become known and it's no longer scary or something to be avoided most of the time. Does she, does she in, in that, out of that curio curiosity, does she, does she start with questions? Does she ask a lot of questions in a situation like that? She does. She also just points things out. Um, she just makes observations. Totally. She's pretty <laughs> uninhibited. And so it, yeah, it would be like, um, so you've got a mole on your face and she'll like point out that thing that the person probably lived their whole life trying to ignore, like hope people don't see. And then she's like, why is that there? Well, that's, you know, you could say like, that's how God made me or it's something unique about me or whatever it is. And she's like, great. And yes. then, and that's that. And she's just totally like, destigmatized it by just yep. talking about it. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you are, you are still great. Your mole does not define you right? Like yeah. it is just something about you. And so it's almost like the, it's like, okay, down syndrome, people say that there's this, let's say there's like a fear of down syndrome. Down syndrome is not scary. It's the unknown that's scary. So if we can, if we can teach that to ourselves, how to differentiate that, right? Like this people group and what they stand for feels scary. No, no, no. 
they aren't scary. There's a lack of knowledge. There's some unknown about what that is. There's something unfamiliar. That's what's scary or that's what makes you feel standoffish, not the people, right? So so we get to sprinkle that wisdom over the last 18 months and just the fear of the unknown and how that's fueled all sorts of not great conversations with people. Yeah. Um, uh, One of the phrases that we will sometimes use at our church is that we'll encourage people to ask curious questions, Mm -hmm. you know, and you just start with that rather than coming in all hot with the opinion or the this or the that. um, Yeah. So we, we could learn how to do this better for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's that idea, like believe the best in others. Like assume I always say to people and what my kids have taught me to do. And I think this is a great skill for humans. Um, I always tell people about my kids, assume competence, um, assume that they can. So if Mason's going to step into a dance class or into a church classroom or into a school classroom or into wherever, I need, I need everyone in the room to assume that she can see the ability, you know, instead of jumping to like the deficits. And I think okay. when we're uncomfortable with a group of people or someone who's different than us or an idea that's different than our idea we are automatically jump to that like deficit. Like you don't have this, you can't do this, you are not this. Um, instead of, I'm going to assume the best in you because you know what? You are an image bearer of God, just That's like it. I am an image bearer That's of Christ. It. That's right? it, yes. And yes. even if we disagree on all of these things, the image of God is in you. Therefore, I should assume the best of you and assume that you've got something to teach me about God that I would... I'm missing if I don't have you in my life. And that, okay, now I'm going to sound like a pastor for- All right, bring it. <laughs> no, I promise I'll dial it back. But, but that's the genius of the body of Christ. We, I don't have the same gifts Heather has. We need each other and I get to learn from you and, and, and we get to complement one another's gifts and weaknesses. That's how it works. Right. I, it, it does, for all of us, for every image bearer. That's the way it works. I, I, I know I mentioned this to you before we, we, we started uh, recording, but, um, I've had a a chance to do some work with, uh, Albert and Didi Pujols here in St. Louis who have a child with Down syndrome. And so they were, you know, the Pujols Family Foundation was really involved with, and still does a lot of work in St. Louis, even though they live out in your neck of the woods now. Um, and, uh, uh, but, but I remember there was a night and it was, you know, you can imagine when, when Albert was here and, and in the heyday, there would be like an Albert Pujols night at the, at the stadium. And there was a, one of those big suites that I never get to unless somebody invites me. Right. (laughs) right? Uh, but it was all for, uh, for families and, and children with down syndrome. And so it was just, I was just invited into this party and Robin and I, my wife, we were just like, of course we're going to this best <laughs> party of the year. So it was fun. And everybody's, you know, laughing and enjoying each other until Albert comes up to the plate and everybody's really quiet, rushes outside, watches that cheers and then comes back in. My point is there was a, there was a young man. I'm going to guess he was early teens and, uh, and uh, someone had introduced me to him because Albert had a lot of baseball you know, teams and things like that. These kids would play, uh, you know, in, in organized sort of, uh, efforts. And 
this little guy, you know, the first thing I said to him, because he was just being so boisterous and so friendly to me and he loves baseball. And I just remember looking at him and, you know, somebody had said, you know, he hits the ball really far. Like he hits the ball really far. And I was like, well, of course you do get a load of those guns. And so he immediately starts posing and showing me his <laughs> arms and his biceps. Heather, I will never forget this. I, I've written about this. I, <laughs> I'll never forget this. He stood there and he took that praise in. He didn't deflect it. Mm-hmm. He knew it was true. Mm-hmm. And so my first thought was, how come I can't just do that in, an, in, a, mm-hmm. in a moment of just going, yeah, this is the way God made me. Mm-hmm. But I promise you, as sure as I'm talking to you right now, he grabbed me. There was no option. He grabbed me by the arm and walked me to the other side of the room. He said, but now you got to see my friend and you got to get a load of his guns. Oh. And so he goes over and I watched for the next five minutes these two young men with their arms around each other celebrating one another, not in some weird, false, deferring kind of a way. But yeah, he hits the ball. Well, you should see how far he throws the ball. And I stood, I, I, honestly, I, I'm not making this up. I, I walked away because Robin was there with me and I couldn't hardly breathe. I said, that's the way I'll be when God fully heals me. Mm. That's, that's the way I'll be when the, there's no self-consciousness, there's no threat, there's no envy. I am who God made me to be. And where do you get a load of my friend? And it was, it was so pure. It, I, it kind of messed me up. Um, that's one of the things I learn from young people who are that open and that pure in the way that they're seeing things. Yeah. Um, and I just, I'm so grateful that you're doing this and getting this story out there. That is such a great story. Oh, and well, I think I, like, even like that whole idea of the lucky few, right? Like you were so lucky to get to be in that was, room. I, that that's night, why. Right? And that's, that's exactly anytime right. I'm around people with Down syndrome, I mean, my kids included, I'm like, guy, I'm so lucky. And I, I just want to hit on real quick what you said about yeah, sure. when that's how you will be when you are fully it's restored. Absolutely and that's absolutely And yes. And the times that, and I, maybe there's people listening who that feels like a um, radical idea, but there have been times where people have prayed for my kids to be healed of down syndrome without me asking for that. Mm-hmm. Um, just like it, it's long stories, but, but to go, wait a second, you guys, God, God created them every cell in their body with an extra chromosome on purpose. Like this was, this was God's intention. So yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then to hear your story, you know, like, and that idea that people with down syndrome, disabled people are image bearers of Christ. And if we don't have them in our lives, there's no way we can know the fullness of God. There's no way. This, this full, this, this phrase gets used in different ways, but you are experiencing a poverty of relationship mm. if you don't have people in your life who are different <laughs> from you, but still, I, I guarantee you, I'm, I, I, see, I see those young people that I've been lucky to be around, blessed mm-hmm. to be around. There, there's a completeness to how they do things that I don't have. I'm not being, I'm not trying to be coy with words. There's a completeness to the way they see the world that, um, I don't know. Yeah. The sovereign God knows what he's doing. And I, in eternity future, I think we all are going to be just surprised at how we actually 
operate. Yeah. Um, for sure. I, I, I just do. <laughs> and and we don't have to go back to that. I just, I just, for me, I just, as a, as someone, you said something that I wanted to ask you about in general, you said, I, I'm kind of particular about kids books. I, mm. I want to kind of just stay on this parenting sure. thing for a minute. Um, what are you looking for in a children's book? Um, a lot of it has to do with the makeup of our family and I am very aware that truly is the only person in our home who has brown skin and we live in a white normative world. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, the majority of media has been mostly white representation. Things are changing a lot, um, but there's an expectation of whiteness within a lot of the world we live in. And so because of that, um, we really only purchase books that are diverse in like racially and with ability. It's easier like ethnically and racially to do that than it is with ability. Um, and that's a big piece for us. So I'm looking for beautiful illustrations of little girls with brown skin, right? That's yeah. really important to yeah. have a lot of those on our bookshelves and really beautiful illustrations of kids with disabilities um that's huge and then messaging that's i i love a good children's book i love a children's book that at the end i'm choked up and my kids are like are you crying <laughs> yes i'm crying yes <laughs> because the message is just timeless it's written for them but it's written for me i'm reading them yeah. you know and i i feel moved emotionally by them um so that kind of messaging feels important. And of course we have fun books and sure. those and educational books too. Yeah. But I love that. I love that you're just, that you're giving voice to that because I think two things, one, I think that helps parents to start thinking through grids that maybe they've not thought they could think through hmm. uh, and, and things to look for. And then also let's just say it, let's just get some great, books out there in the market and let's let's i just want to inspire young writers and artists to to do this and to represent yeah. well and to tell a story well and and to honor people so with that kind of in mind like how would you how would you um if there are listeners who want to better support and encourage adoptive parents or uh mm -hmm parents of kids with diverse abilities. I mean, what would you say to those of us who are who are not necessarily in that situation, but we're in community with you? We want to be in community with you. How do we step into this story better? Oh my gosh. Uh, that's such a big question. I think it's imperative. Like the the word a word that's been used a lot, especially in the last 18 months and I I use it and believe in it, is that idea of being an ally, right? That's like an advocate and an ally. And you're an ally when you aren't a part of that group personally. Like you're not, like I am an ally in the disability space because I'm not a disabled person. Yeah. I'm an ally in the black space, in the black lives space because I'm not a black person. So I think it's so, so, so imperative to recognize that you are going to be uncomfortable a lot. And a lot of the, the time you step in to our world or into these situations, there's going to be some discomfort. Maybe you disagree with things. And the to be a listener and a learner, um, I believe that is one of the most powerful tools we can use as advocates and allies and come alongside people is listening and learning. 
And I think we often want to step into a space like, this is what I know and this is what I can offer. Um, And that shouldn't be our go-to. Our go-to should be like, I'm coming alongside and I'm here to listen and learn. And then of course, there's gonna be times for action. Like you can't just let listening and learning stop you from acting. Um, But I think the more that you're, mentality is one of humility in that regard. You're going to know when to act and you're going to be less likely to act in a way that's not beneficial for anybody involved. Yeah. I I almost hear you saying, let's take our cue off of Macy's curiosity, come into this with that kind of a spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I guess the, the other part of that, that I would say in a couple of the instances that you've mentioned, um, I hear from people who want to be allies. They're trying to figure this out. But they're so afraid that they're going to say or do something incorrect. What do you say to that? Again, it's your posture. If your posture is, I am here to listen and learn and to truly support this this group of people or this mission or whatever it is. Um, and when you're when you move into action and you make that mistake, then then if you have that humility of listener learner, when you're corrected. Okay. You feel uncomfortable and gross, like not gross, but like, ah, I'm so bummed, but you're going to learn and move forward instead of become defensive and create more tension. That's it. The Um, moving forward. I love that phrase that we've got to move forward. And you've got to do something, right? And and I think part of it is recognizing because of the lack of a lived experience, you are going to say and do things that are going to be upsetting. But again, if you're doing it with with like the right heart and the good intentions and you're willing to be corrected and learn along the way and keep moving forward, um, that's what that's all we can ask of each other, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And we'll we'll burn a lot of grace along the way. And yeah. uh, and that that brings honor to God. Um, I, you know, I just, yes. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah. I have a friend that we will do work in spaces where we're trying to build bridges in communities and and particularly between uh some of the racial divides in our city that we're trying to build across but david anderson's a pastor on the east coast and i'll never forget i quoted him today on something but he says words matter but actions make them matter more yeah and so it really is both it's both and for me it's not if i'm going to make mistakes in my daily interactions it's when I mean, I, it's, it's unavoidable, 100%. it's unavoidable, 100%. but if I can stay humble enough to a mid course correction and you show me enough grace to say, I don't want to stay there. Let's move forward. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And, and walking into it with knowing that you're trying to elevate the voice of other people, right? You're not trying to be, to be the one that needs to be heard. Um, it's like, no, there's a cause happening. I want to be a part of this. So how yeah. can I use my gifts and talents to elevate those other voices, that whole idea of passing the mic, all those things that people yeah. are talking about yeah. and, and are happening. It's yeah. It, um, I don't know. Something that we were talking about made me think of this, but it's like, I will talk to people who like language is so important, right? And mm-hmm. words matter. You said that yeah. and you'll hear, well, this group now wants to be called this or not called this. And well, I can't keep track, you know, and people get all like huffy about it. It's like, well, you can take your energy to get upset about the fact that this is a word that we no longer use or just not use the word, you know, like use that same energy in a different way. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think it's kind of that mentality of like, what do you, where are you going to put your energy as, as 
the light is shown on the ignorance. Like we all have ignorance. And as those ignorances are being put to the light or put to the test, um, how are you? Yeah. Where are you going to put your energy? Let's yeah. put our energy toward making sure people feel valued. Yeah. And that might mean that we have to say, I'm wrong and I'm sorry, you know? Yes. Yes. And and again, that's where grace comes in. That's where yeah. it, it, I, I look back and go, yes, I I hate those mistakes that I've made, but please let's not live there. I'm willing to move forward. Let's go forward. For sure. Um, so just I want to ask you one more question and then let's move towards uh, just some fun stuff that we ask everybody. But because, uh, you know, it's podcasts and they do that, you know, <laughs> you know the drill. Um, but you had talked about the the unknown and the fear of the unknown. And it made me think, I wanted to come back here at the end. It made me think of another not great word because we don't like unknown. And I think that's what we've been struggling with this last 18 months is there was so much unknown. Uh, But I think coupled with that, probably their first cousins is a sense of powerlessness. And I, I don't know very, there are some people in my life that are more in touch with powerlessness than others. Hmm. But I feel like we've kind of, hit that wall of powerlessness. Hmm. But parenting has just a built-in dose of powerlessness for each of us. I mean, there is only so much we can do with any of our children. I mean, there's ju- there just is. Would you just tell us how to face this fear of the unknown and maybe it's first cousin, the fear of this powerlessness and Mm -hmm. maybe we're not as much in control as we think we are. Tell us now how to move forward with courage as, as each of us, whether we're parents or not parents, as we're now moving forward. I want to just give you that last, you know, just now it's your turn to bring it. Okay. (laughs) You have been bringing it, but I just would love for you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is it. It's all coming down to this. Bring me back around. If I, if I'm missing, no, well, it, it could have been a terribly long question. No, no, too. no. I, it's just I'm the fear yeah. of the unknown. And I do feel like the fear of powerlessness, I think they're pretty connected. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important to lean into it. Um, okay. And and in doing so, I, I do see them a little bit differently. Like in, when you're leaning into the sphere of the unknown, eventually the unknown becomes known. Yeah. And then it, and then, there's no longer fear that Hopefully or, or depending on what it is, it could be even scarier, but usually, you know, it's like the unknown becomes known. They're like, Oh, okay. And so the next time it happens, then it's like, okay, I, I did this before I leaned into this unknown gotcha. and it became known and it wasn't scary. Um, and so the next time it happens, I'm going to lean in and it will become known. It won't be as, as scary um, or whatever the word whatever the the word or feeling is. And then the powerlessness, I just almost feel as you were talking, I was, I'm just thinking about this as, as you were talking about it. I'm wondering if like, again, leaning into that, um, almost like this visual of like letting that wash over you. And then the outcome is empathy. Um, especially for someone who's all had so much power and didn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I think of Macy as my little guide, my magical little guide. And she, she lacks a lot of power in settings, the way that our society is set up. Yeah. Um, even in like how to order at a restaurant, 
right? Like there's a skill set that has to be taught for her to be able to have power in her community and in her own life that doesn't have to be taught to people without disability. And so for me to lean into that powerlessness or the opportunities that I have to shift power, um, maybe that the outcome of that is a more tender heart towards others um, or a desire and understanding and ability to want to step into the powerlessness that others have. And, and maybe I'm looking at it from yeah, a different no, lens than what you were that. what you're saying. So in terms of like being a parent, oh Lord have mercy. I mean, <laughs> parenting is so hard. It is so hard. And and it's hard. <laughs> like I don't I feel like I don't have all, all this wisdom here because it's like it's so hard and it's not um even going with the like that idea of what you're talking about with power, powerlessness, and and stepping into the the, the fear of the unknown. Um, I think there's also a sense of like a both and. My husband and I, I think that's been my biggest lesson in parenting the three kids I have with in regards to like disability and race and adoption is there's so many opportunities for a both and. It is, the adopt, for example, adoption is beautiful and it is tragic. It is both of those things and there's just yeah. a lot of gray, yeah. right? Right, right. Um, I feel like I'm just kind of now going off no, on a little. No, I, I think that's right. It, there's, it's the, the binary way that we think isn't really the way that a lot of this now, uh, the way that life is existing for us. So it can be both really difficult and really beautiful. Right which is parenting. Yeah. But I mean, if to just kind of put a, you know, what, what I would say is a lot of times we want to control this thing. Yep. I, maybe that's the word more than power. It's just, it's control. We, we, we mm -hmm. want to control this thing and there is a limit mm -hmm. to what I can control. And in that mystery, uh, I think that's where God meets us. I mean, that's, that's where I'm needing him to meet me the most is in the mystery of that. Whew, I, oh, it turns out I didn't know what was coming in 2020. Didn't have that at all <laughs> totally. in my plans. Totally, and, yeah. And, and yet he's not overwhelmed by it. He's not thrown yep. by it. He's not surprised by it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is, yeah, the, like the stepping into the unknown, the fear of that, the control, the power. It's It's scary and hard and necessary and good. Yeah. You know, like it's... Yeah. It's all of those things. And so trying to, I don't know if, if you and your listeners, your thoughts on Richard Rohr, but that idea of like a third way, like there's, it's not just black and white. It's not binary. There's, there's a third way here and you get to that way. And I think you usher God into those spaces in your life when you hold it, when you, it's a both hand and you've yeah. got palms open, you know, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to. I need some control here as a parent and I'm letting go of control. That's it. Sounds contradictory. Yep. But there's the third way there, right? There's this yep. middle ground yep. that we're yep. trying to figure out. Yeah. Oh, we could keep riffing on this all day long. <laughs> that made me think of when somebody taught me how to surf, it was like, you're going to hurry up and relax all at the same time. 
Because yeah. there's parts of this that you have Good. to really hurry up and you got to be spot on and then you've got to be relaxing. And, and I thought, mm, okay, that's pretty much life with God. You know, yeah. it's a little bit of both. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, let me thank you for humoring me with that uh, beautiful answer and uh, of a long, not clear question. Um, <laughs> we do... We we do this thing. Uh, it's a, it's like a way to go award, and we want to give a shout out to a person, or an organization, or an artist that is just doing great things in the world. And so, um, it, who would you be nominating for this way to go award? And of course, there, we don't really have a prize. It's just we just want to get the word out. So, who are you nominating for a way to go award? Oh gosh, um, I do feel like this is one of those ones that I'm going to be like, ah, oh, this is who I should have said. But the first person that came to my mind, which is maybe the person I should say is a woman. Her name is Gail Williamson. Um, She is a casting director in LA and for people with disabilities. She has a son in his 40s who has Down syndrome and was an actor, is an actor. Um, She has paved the way. When you see a person with Down syndrome or a disability in some kind of major marketing ad, there is a good chance that Gail Williamson did something years and years and years ago for that to be happening now. So she's just a person. Um, we, I have a podcast called the lucky few podcast and I interviewed her earlier this year and she just sort of blew my mind. Like she's one of those people that's always in the background, you know, like as yeah. a casting director, yeah. but she's doing incredible, incredible work for diversity in the media. And so I applaud her. All right. Way to go. Gail Williamson. <laughs> uh, what's one thing you're loving these days that the rest of us should check out? And this is wide open. This can be anything, something you're watching on TV, okay. podcast, music. What is it that it's just something we should check out? Okay, Greg, this is going to border a lot. Like this might be TMI. All right. But there is in my city, I, I need to look up his name because this is unfair that I'm saying it without knowing his name. Um, there's a man who creates soaps, natural soaps and de- natural deodorant. And he okay. has a little tin. It's in a round tin of a natural deodorant that is not the best natural deodorant I've ever used. The best deodorant, period, hands down. He makes it here in my city of Redlands. So we have to get a link. Okay, we'll it. put it in the um, show notes. That's easy. You get I that, that to us and we'll like put it in the show notes. answer and maybe too much information. But no. It is one of like it's a product. I I every time I use it, which is every day, I think everybody needs to know about this deodorant. <laughs> I've okay, never about it. <laughs> I love that answer. So we are definitely going to want that info. Yes. Um, okay. Now you want to talk about hard left turns here. Uh, yes. <laughs> what's one way you're connecting with God these days? Um, I wish it was more often, to be honest, but I will. I feel really connected on nice long walk, like outdoor nature is being outside. And if I can get out in the morning and head up into the hills of my city by myself with a really good podcast or some music or oftentimes just silence, um, just kind of recentering and seeing all the good things around me that are, that are just shouting out the goodness of God. Yeah, that's good. What's one lesson you wish you could have learned sooner? Huh? There's like a lot. My, I just had like 500 things go through. My yeah, yeah, me too. That's the way it works. You know what? Um, just kind of in what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, I wish I knew the adoption stuff about adoption sooner. Okay. I wish my narrative around adoption that I knew that from day one. Yeah. Okay. What's one trait you had as a kid that you still have 
these days? I mean, growing up, I mean, you still have it today. Um, I was a very tender-hearted little girl that was incredibly aware of the underdog, like the person in the room that was overlooked and undervalued. Um, and that's sort of my gig now <laughs> yeah. as an adult. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's yeah, awesome. Okay. Last one. What's one way you're moving into this next year with hope? I, <laughs> um, I'm moving into this next year with hope with a therapist. <laughs> okay. I'm seeking out. Yeah. I, I've always thought therapy is super important and have talked to a lot of people about going to therapy and just never went to therapy. And I started yeah. this year and it's, I think that would be, that's my answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. That's great. <laughs> that's cool. Um, and, and thank you for just sharing your heart this whole time. It's just, we could have just kept talking for a long time and, and I just, our listeners are so blessed and we're going to make sure that all of this information that you've dropped out from the, from the, uh, the book to the podcast, to your nonprofit, to, uh, this amazing deodorant that we all need to know. About. We're, we're, we're going to make sure all of these details are available for people, but mostly I'm glad they got to, to know you and to know your family and really just this, this really, I just think important ministry that you've got going. So just thanks for being with us. Oh man, what an honor and a thrill, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to a Godzillion and one podcast. Subscribe, share this episode with a friend, and head over to gregholder.com for the show notes. And as always, stop and notice this week the shockingly and seemingly endless ways to connect with each other, this world, and the God who made it all. We'll see you next time.